0: Entertainment.
1: Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Anything that move, I don't care how it is, just do Give me everything
1: you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Here we go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky
0: podcast. Now here's your host, Bran Duffy
1: that's red of the week, and day 10 of training camp is here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 264. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Chris McPherson to talk really about a ton of big-picture topics going on today around the Eagles, around the NFL, as well as a pretty eventful practice uh, here this morning at the Care Complex. I don't want to waste any more time, so let's just jump right in. It's time for Chalk Talk. It's time for my chat with Chris McPherson. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, as I mentioned, uh, a lot to hit on today. And, uh, look, it's, uh, it's a weird time to be able to, to talk about football with everything that's going on uh, around the country. And I don't know what, even what else to say uh, at this point, C-Mac. A, a few players uh, did speak after practice, talking about all the different ways, all the different things that they're doing in terms of meeting and trying to find different ways to uh, elicit change, you know, and try and spark some social justice reform. Uh, obviously, a lot of teams doing a lot of different things across the entire realm of sports. So we heard from Carson Wentz today, we heard from Rodney McLeod, we heard from Jalen Mills. What were the big takeaways from you? Uh, obviously, with Doug Peterson talked about it a little bit yesterday, but I guess there was a meeting last night, uh, and they're going to continue. Those conversations moving forward over the next couple of days as well.
0: Yeah, Fran, a lot, lots to unpack. This is this is gonna be a little different of a podcast. I would say the big takeaway. I guess I go just you know player by player. Jalen Mills spoke about personal experiences of seeing systemic racism, and he pointed to when he was in high school, ninth, tenth, tenth grade, growing up in Dallas, Texas area. When we were younger, what where, where was the place to go? You go to the mall. You know, that's like the place where you hang out with your friends, you go to movies, you know, whatever whatever spot you went to. And he said that the officers used to come by and harass the kids because they were, you know, black males congregating in a social spot and they would basically use scare tactics to get them to like, you know, put their hands in the air, freeze and then things to harass him and at one time one of Jalen's friends didn't react quickly enough and the officer tasered the young man in the face. And for two months this young black man had to go around school with a bandage on his face because the taser burned his skin. And so Jalen was about the personal experience and I think that's been over the last few months Fran one of the biggest things, and I guess this kind of is a good segue to what Carson said, because Carson has just talked about learning growing up in North Dakota, not being around a lot of black people throughout his life, not experiencing black culture, not knowing what that is like. And I think that's what the last few months have really helped open the eyes of for people is what do black men go through on a day to day basis in this country, what they have to overcome and it's not just one thing or the other it's just this you have this added weight that's on top of you and it's hearing people talk about how when they raise their kids that you have to instruct them to do things in a different manner because if they are pulled over by the police for some reason you don't want that to escalate into some kind of situation it's a lot of those learning moments that Carson has gone through and as the leader of this team, one of the leaders of this team as a quarterback has done a very good job, I think, of just showing empathy. He called the George Floyd murder, just that, a murder, which I thought was very poignant because a lot of times people are trying to find, you know, how do you phrase these different events? Police involved shootings and things of that nature. He flat out called it George Floyd's murder. For him, it's just learning, listening, and learning has been the biggest thing for Carson. And now using that to enact change, to use the platforms that we have, the players have, to enact some form of change. And then to go to Rodney, he's become like the spokesperson on the team for this issue, taking Malcolm's spot and he's done a phenomenal job because he walks the walk, because he was involved in the protests in Philadelphia following George Floyd's murder. We talk about how cursed 2020 has been, how terrible it's been and what this pandemic has done. And Rodney said that this forced all of us to be at home, to witness this and you couldn't escape it. The biggest thing you just could not, you couldn't turn your eyes away from it. I believe it was Jalen Mills who said, you have to thank the brave people who pull out their cell phones and capture these moments. Because if we didn't have these stuck in our faces, if we weren't forced to witness these, what would the reactions be? And, and Roddy's like, we're at a reckoning because we have to deal with this. This is something that's gone on for 400 years in this country. And we can't just turn a blind eye to it anymore. And in light of What the NBA players are doing, going on strike to force a postponement of these games and and other leagues following suit, the players of the other leagues forcing the leagues to follow suit. You saw in baseball, you saw a little bit, you saw in tennis, major league soccer, women's NBA, you've seen it across the board. I remember hearing some interviews, I believe, I know Kyrie Irving had spoken about this, and other players in the NBA, when they were going to the bubble in Orlando, they said, they were afraid that life would get back to normal. And, and Fran, I know you're, you're on Instagram, and you go through people's feeds, and during the protests early in the summer, you saw the people being involved in protests, how to get involved, how to help others, how to support Black-owned businesses, how to make a difference. That's what everyone's feeds were dedicated to, those things. And then slowly and surely, as the weather got nice, The restrictions from the pandemic lifted a little bit. Everyone's feed starting to get back to things that we were accustomed to beforehand. And not that there's anything wrong with that. We all want to get back to a sense of normalcy. It's that what change has really taken place. And it's almost like it's becoming an afterthought. I think Rodney actually said that it started to almost become an afterthought and that What's happened with Jacob Blake has put it back. It's bubbled it up back to the surface. But the thing is now it, the time is for action. Yep. I think that's the biggest thing. It's This country's gone through conversations and talks, and it's important to continue to have those. But at some point, there's got to be some kind of change, Fran. And that's what the NBA players, I think, are at the point where, like, look, we're not going to play. Like, if you're not going to change your, your way, if everyone is under the microscope, on social media, because of the pandemic, because of everything going on, and these events that caused the protests are still happening with, with no punishment or recourse, some other action has has to be done, Fran. So hearing from the players, it was about personal experiences from Jalen. It was what Carson has learned. And for Rodney, it was – what what the next steps are going to be and he said that there is an action plan there's been discussions among team members it's not fully baked it's, they are not ready to announce it yet but there is the social justice committee meeting that's taking place on friday it was already scheduled for friday but it's going to take place on friday where they're going to try to finalize a plan and you just wonder this goes back to as i know we want to look at the practice and what happened on the field today fran because there's so much to get to from that standpoint as well That. When I first got into the bleachers, I was talking with Bo Wolf, you know, our good friend, former colleague with the Eagles, now with the Athletic. He just looked at me and said, what do you think about the fact that they're having practice? And to me, I feel like you have to know your team. Doug knows his team. And if you could sense, especially after the team meeting last night where guys were able to voice their concerns and share their stories and have the open forum – And everyone got a chance to listen. If Doug kind of felt that the mindset's not right, then we shouldn't go out there and practice. But if we can go have a practice and we can take care of our business for those couple hours, those two hours have a good spirit of practice, which I think it was, it was our business. And then we can talk and then get to the matters at hand. Great. It's not like canceling the practice. It's going to impact things. It's not going to have a financial impact. It's not going to, you're going to lose that time on the field, but, it's not like those two hours are going to make or break the difference between enacting significant action. And that's why, Fran, I'm just intrigued as to what the next steps are going to be from people talked for a long time. Are Are they going to kneel for the anthem at the beginning of the year? At this point, is that, is that enough? It's symbolic. I get it. And I don't want to turn this into a discussion of what they should do, Fran, but, it's gotten to the point where we watched NBA players for the last couple of weeks in the bubble, kneel for every national anthem. And this still is going on. So it's like, what is going to actually turn into action? What's going to formulate real, real results. And obviously voting is a big thing. Um, Certainly the the NFL and and the teams are going to be pushing that about how important it is to vote, that that is your voice and you have to, capitalize on that but i think it's a it's what's gonna really spur genuine action and i haven't followed and there's been so much with the eagles with here alone that i haven't been able to look at what's update on the nba or anything like that friend but it's one of those days where it's hard to focus but there's just so not just because there's so many things going on but because your mind wanders to to a different place
1: yeah i i think you said so much that uh, needs to be unpacked there and obviously you, you talked about what Carson and Rodney and Jalen uh, all talked about if you did miss those interviews you can go I implore you to go find them uh, so that you can hear uh, what all of those guys had to say uh, on an individual basis to me that one of the things you said was kind of alluding to what Rodney talked about about as we got into the the meat of the summer you know returning to quote-unquote normal and that that is the issue is that This is normal and it should not be normal, right? Like the fact that these things continue to happen and it's different circumstances with all of these different situations, but it's all the same underlying issue or the same one or two or three underlying issues. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's really, and it's so tough for me to even think about. I was, as I was listening to Jalen today, you know, and he's talking about like, yeah, like, He's talking about going to the mall with his friends, you know, as as kids. Like, that's what I did. And I didn't have to worry about those kinds of things that that Jalen and his friends had to worry about. And so many, you know, thousands and millions of other people have have had to worry about, you know. And you talk to me, like listening to Rodney talk, I couldn't help but think of my sophomore year, September uh, of my sophomore year, September 11th, 2001. And, you know, you leaving – leaving school that day and thinking like, you know, this is what we're talking about and not being able to find an escape. There can't be that ability to escape. We, this is, this needs to be talked about. This needs to be adjusted. There needs to be changes to me. So not having those escapes, I can't just turn on And and I couldn't watch, you know, the bucks game last night because there's, there's a lot of other, other things need to be talked about, thought about, written about, watched, listened to about much more important things. You can only hope that, that, that change is coming. I want to speak for you, but it does feel like things are, are going in the right direction, but it's obviously this, I mean, when things continue to happen this way, it's, it's just so disheartening.
0: It's, it's, it's that's what, that's the thing is you, you thought they were going to teeter in the right direction, but we keep coming back to the starting point. And, you know, Fran, you're, you're a new father. And you have a beautiful son, and it's like you you know you're trying to figure out what kind of world am I bringing your child into and my kids are are twelve and ten, and for those of you who don't who don't know, I'm biracial. My father is the son of a Jamaican immigrant. his dad immigrated from Jamaica. my grandmother, my dad's mother, African American, and then my mom comes from basically Eastern European descent, polish, Swedish. And they were able to shield a lot of stuff. You know, I'm gonna go personal for a second, Frank. If you don't mind. Yeah. When my parents got married in 1979, my mom's side of the family—I should—I shouldn't say the entire family—people on my mom's side of the family boycotted the wedding because my mom was marrying a black man. Both my parents were very successful, and they were able to afford to live in a nice house. So it was 1985. I was four years old. They were looking to move into a suburb in Northern New Jersey where I grew up and some neighborhoods, they were getting locked out because of the fact that my dad was black. People did not want a black man in the neighborhood. And you're thinking this is 30 years ago, sure. 35 yeah. years ago. I'm very thankful for the lessons that they they were able to provide the guidance they provided, but a lot of ways shielded me from a lot of experiences that black men have to go through. And it's just tough with kids now where it's like, how much do you tell them? How much do you show them? Like my dad passed away almost three years ago. I know you lost your father too, Fran. These are the times where I wish I could talk to him just to be like, what? No question. My dad was so wise. It was just like, he just always knew what to say. And I would have to agree with it because I think he was also someone who would tell you, tell it to you straight. And you would be like, that's not what I want to hear, but it's what I have to hear. And I feel like there's times like that with raising these kids where I'm like, what, I don't want to show them what happened to George Floyd. I don't want to show them what happened to Jacob Blake, but how do I teach them or explain to them what's going on, why there are protests going on. And that, that's that been one of the most difficult things is because they're aware and smart enough to know that things are going on in this world. But you also don't want to scare them to make them think that the world is this bad place either. And that's been one of the biggest struggles is just what do you teach them? What do you show them? Especially because social media, and that's the thing is my oldest son has a phone. He could be seeing stuff that, you monitor what you can, but you don't, you know, you're not catching everything that they're going to see. And it's, yeah. you can't protect them. You know, you can't put blinders on them, but it's like, you got to figure out what, how do you bring them along and show them how much do you put in their minds? There, there is in minds without ruining that innocence, without, without hurting them and possibly putting long-term damage in there. Mm-hmm. So I mean,
1: I, I'm not at that point yet where I have to make those decisions and have those internal struggles. But I can like, my brain is already there in terms of thinking like, how am I going to do this when the time is right? And it's, it's one of those things where like, I have no idea. I don't want to like make it up as I go along and I'm still like going, I'm still trying to just figure out. I'm hoping that with all of the terrible things that even just in the last calendar year, just in the last calendar year, just in the last five months, that change can happen. By the time that I would be at that point, that it won't be as difficult. It won't be as daunting. It won't be as bad to bring that reality to him. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's what can happen. And hopefully everything that's going on around sports can get you know, help push the people that can put that change into effect. Because, you know the, the athletes themselves they can't do it on their own the the policymakers that the, they are the ones that have that power that hopefully we can get pushed in the right direction we have a lot that we need to cover today we could spend many podcasts every so we could do a daily podcast just on this topic you know unfortunately and as weird as it is to, to keep going I, we do have other things to cover uh, here uh, it's
0: not weird I mean I think I know
1: it, it's just it's a very it's just a weird it's yeah, I don't know how, what other word to kind of attribute to it, but um, the, we're recording this 4.30 Eastern on Thursday. Uh, a half hour ago, right on the dot, 4 p.m. Eastern, um, the Eagles did announce that no fans at Lincoln Financial Field. Take us through uh, that announcement, Steve.
0: Yeah, so for the last few months, the Eagles, the Steelers, have worked with the state. The Eagles have worked with the city of Philadelphia. The Eagles have presented numerous plans – to try to have fans in the building for this year. But with the current state of the pandemic, the way the numbers are going local and state officials today, just confirmed that fans are not going to be allowed until further notice. Now it's not like Washington where they are saying blanket no for 2020, the entire season. Right. I think it's, it's something that will be revisited and if the numbers do change, if, if things go in the right direction, maybe by later in the year, there's a chance we get a fan. It's not promised, but, you know, it's not that they're going to close the door on it. The Eagles yeah. are going to keep working on it. But Don Smolenski, the team president, I thought, uh, did a great job of detailing everything that's happened in the latest Eagles Insider podcast, uh, exclusive interview. Make sure you listen to it. But the bottom line is that the Eagles, like most teams, especially in the northeastern yep. part of the country, will not have fans. So September 20th for certain, when the Eagles uh, – host the Los Angeles Rams. Unfortunately, there will not be fans uh, in the building. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Eagles
1: president Don Spolinski did join Dave uh, on a special edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Uh, so make sure you go find that wherever uh podcast can be found if you want more information uh, on that. So on the field, some big news as are reports late in the day on Thursday uh, revealed that, and again, this is all reports right now, nothing confirmed that Andre Dillard, the Eagles' second-year left tackle, first-round pick in 2019, has a biceps injury that is going to cost him his second year and his first year as a starter. Basically, uh, early in practice, looked like he hurt maybe potentially in one-on-one drills, uh, did not make it to the team 11-on-11 action as we were watching unfold in front of us, c So he didn't quite make it there. Uh, we saw him leave practice the other day, came back, was a, a participant yesterday, and then uh, today left early on, Uh, in practice with that upper body injury. So, again, without knowing any of the details and without knowing any confirmation, obviously this is is big for an offensive line that, you know, going into the season, you had already lost one of your starters in Brandon Brooks. Uh, The team brings back Jason Peters. I guess when you're talking about what the options would be with Andre Dillard out long-term, really it's okay. Are you going to put Jordan Mailata at left tackle or are you going to move Jason Peters permanently back to
0: his old spot at left tackle on the left side? The Eagles have options. That's the one thing you can say is when Jason Pierce was brought back, he was brought back as a guard, okay? When the Eagles made the announcement, it was very clear that he was going to be the right guard for the 2020 season. With that being said, part of the allure of bringing back was the experience that he can be your potential swing tackle if needed. So, Jeff Stoutland, Doug Pearson are going to get together and figure out what's the best five at this point. What is the best five combination? Because you also have to remember, Lane Johnson is has not been practicing due to a lower body injury. So, Matt Pryor, who in theory would be your starting right guard if something were to happen to Peters, is at right tackle. So, it's a really, a really I mean, that,
1: that would be the thing. Would be like if lining up tomorrow, right? Well, obviously, it would be Saturday. You, you would have to make that decision. Let's say the Eagles played a game on Saturday and they don't, thankfully, they're two weeks and a day uh, away from that. But you know, let's say they, they had a game Saturday. You would have to make that decision of okay, are we better with, you know, let's say it's Jason Peters at left tackle, say Amalo at left guard, Kelsey at center, and then is it Matt Pryor at right guard, Jordan Milata at right tackle, or is it? like a Nate Herbig or a Jack Driscoll at right guard, and then Matt Pryor at right tackle. They've been working through different combinations of guys throughout the course of the summer, and we've talked about it here on the podcast that you have to prepare yourself for these kinds of situations. Ideally, those don't happen before the season starts, but there's a reason why the Eagles have always put a lot of value along the offensive and defensive lines because you know that there's going to be attrition there at some point. You know that you have to have answers for when those injuries happen. And now they're going to be put in that position where you've got to figure out, okay, you've got young guys that have been in the building that you have developed, you've put time into, and you've also got some young players, including Jack Driscoll, who have come in as draft picks and uh, have performed well uh, this summer. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how that progresses over the next couple of weeks as they get ready for week one against Washington, a team with a young defensive line with a ton of potential, a ton of talent, a lot of first-round pedigree. That's going to be a big test, especially considering it's a new defensive scheme. So you don't have any film on that new defensive scheme and the things that they're going to be doing with that with those personnel. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting weekend for sure, as we get to see uh, what this Eagles offense looks like with the loss of Dillard and what they decide to do in terms of moving pieces around. Uh, but a, a huge loss uh, for sure. and something we will be talking about uh, more as we pro- progress here through the rest of the summer. So the injury to Dillard. Uh, obviously notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. Take us through the depth of the, some of the other issues we had uh, today, seeing so you know, that guys that were uh, not practicing or you know, maintenance days and, and guys returning to the field as well.
0: Let's see. Uh, I was going through some notes here. So running back, Miles Sanders, still sidelined. We talked about Diller. Jordan Mailata was back at practice. He had been out a couple of days. Uh, Lane is still sidelined, but good to have lotta considering the circumstances be back on the field. Jason Kelsey I don't know if it was a maintenance day per se, but we saw different alignments, different players working in at center.
1: Yeah, Um, it seemed like he had just, like, a couple team periods, whether it was, like, maybe, like, he needed to tie his shoe or maybe they purposely said, like, hey, you know, kind of like what they did with Carson Wentz and Nate Sudfeld last week where it's like, okay, you know, hey, uh, Kelsey, you stay on the sideline. Erbig, you're in there at center. Just kind of working things out and just, you know, getting guys extra reps.
0: Defensive line, okay. So, Jannard Avery, uh, who we talked about leaving practice on the cart yesterday, Seems like uh, some good news. It's a day-to-day injury, lower body. So cross your fingers. Doesn't seem yeah. like a significant injury there. But I think there's still questions about, is he going to make the 53-man roster? Because sure. we're getting to that that point here. Joe Osman, okay, was lower body injury day-to-day. Surprised that he was out uh, today's action. Benny Curry, lower body injury, still sideline there. So Osman and Avery are like two of the guys are battling to be that. Fifth, sixth defensive end. So, interesting to see what that does to the battle. And I'll just throw in, I think Sharif Miller has really uh, stepped up his play. I think he's been That's very nice solid. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. So, he's really uh, taking a step here in year two. And no, um, no Vinny Curry today, right? Yeah, Vin, yeah Vinny Curry's still out as well. So, Josh Sweat's still getting those first, team, first reps team reps well. And then uh, defensive back Sidney Jones, still not doing team drills. I've not seen him out there for team drills. And then Marcus Epps, lower body injury still sidelined as well. So I don't know if I missed anyone, but those, so. were, those were the big ones there.
1: So we'll just go through. We've obviously been going for a little bit already. Uh, we'll just go through some of the things that we took away from practice. See, I'll just kind of go period by period and follow up with any of the, the things that you may have noted as well. They started with a seven-on-seven period. So seven-on-seven was happening right in front of us from the media standpoint. The one-on-ones when uh, Andre Dillard got hurt was on the far side, uh, kind of away from where the media was. So seven-on-seven right in front of us. Um, they kind of went four-play sequences. So you saw four plays of Wentz, four plays of you know, Nate Sudfeld and Jalen Hurst, and four plays back to Wentz and so on and so forth. So the first four throws for Carson Wentz Went three for four, and he hit Zach Ertz down the seam on the first play. Uh, nice completion down the middle of the field. Then he hit Deshaun Jackson uh, on a touchdown. Looked like the Eagles were kind of like in a cover two and he found that hole, that turkey hole in between the corner and the safety along the right sideline for a touchdown. Third pass was broken up by Nikkel Roby Coleman. Well, once again, all over the football. That was, well, see, I thought was I thought it was Nikkel Roby Coleman. That was 34. I wrote 34, down 34. 31. It, can, it can be a little tough. I wrote down okay. 31. Um, okay. I could be wrong, though. And that was a throw intended for Greg Ward. And then he completed his yep. last pass to Dallas Goddard in the middle of the field. Second set of passes, Carson, I'll just stay with Carson Wentz here, uh, had some more success. First, first he hit uh, Deshaun Jackson on a deep post route to Darius Slay for a big play touchdown over the top. Uh, that got the offense excited. I thought the offense just continued that energy that we saw yesterday. Yeah, I thought that carried over to today.
0: Deuce was talking trash.
1: Yeah, there was a lot. Deuce of that. was back.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of that today. <laughs> when Deuce was back, i am "Like, all right, we're back here." But um I called deshaun the human cheat code, just right. a way that it's like, all right, just just send him deep. You know, whether it's a post route, corner out, you know, go route, he'll take the top off of defense. I loved how Boston Scott came like running off the sideline to celebrate, and they were celebrating there in like the middle of the field following the. uh touchdown there right dancing out there. So uh but yeah just a lot of juice there. But that's Deshaun Jackson did that in week one. It's now you're just hoping can he stay healthy to be able to continue to do that here in 2020.
1: So the the offense keeps moving down the field. You had a couple other completions Carson to uh, Greg Ward to JJ Arthago Whiteside some quick throws underneath the offense consistently just moved the ball you know they kept moving the closer and closer to the end zone. So by the time Carson came back in uh they were down in the red zone. For this part of the 7-on-7 seven seven drill. He hooked up with Jalen Rager uh, on a slant route for a touchdown. I believe that was against Russell Douglas, I believe. Um, did
0: see who was on, but definitely. He,
1: yeah, I'm pretty sure that I wrote down 32. Uh, and then they tried to connect on a, a fade to the back pylon. Jalen did catch it, but didn't have both feet and in, feet in bounds. The, the uh, official on that side uh, said that he was out. So I, I thought Carson looked good uh, in that 7-on-7 seven seven drill. Just a couple other guys that stood out. Davion Taylor seemed to show up a little bit uh, in this period. Um, Feisty. Yeah, Feisty a, Davion uh, Taylor. A, yes. He a, uh, so he tackled uh, Noah Togiai uh, to the ground on one play. He popped Adrian Killens on a wheel route that kind of disrupted the football and got down on the ground for a pass breakup. Then he had a nice little uh, thump on Michael Warren on the final play uh, of the period as well. So Davion Taylor showed up a little bit. And then uh, Nate Sudfeld had a, a deep ball touchdown to Manasseh Bailey, the, uh, the undrafted rookie free agent wide receiver from Morgan State. Nice touch throw from Nate Sudfeld. See, mac like, I don't know if you had any other uh, observations from that 7-on-7. Seven seven.
0: No, uh, you hit on Dave on Taylor. I'm glad you did that. The one thing, and you also touched on the Sudfeld, I, I wrote nice touch on that throw as well. Yeah, dropped in a bucket. I feel like with the rookie wide receivers, the one thing that we can't tell, that the coach are going to tell, I think this could be one of those tiebreakers because, you know, we're, we're seeing – Rager's been outstanding. We're, we're seeing flashes from Watkins, flashes from Hightower how are they picking up the playbook from a standpoint of, are they getting in the right place? Because there's times where you'll see the guys out there in the field and they'll be talking through alignments and things of that nature. And you're like, okay, is, you know, is the guy in the right place? Is there an audible? Is there a reason why they're switching things up? And I feel like those are things that we're not going to quite know the nuances of, but those are going to be the things that will determine whether a guy's going to be active on game day or not, or possibly making the, I don't know if you'd say making the roster or not. It's those little things that you try to pick up when you're out there. What are those like tiebreakers between guys? And that's one of the things I just jotted down in my notes, seeing the guys get, get lined up on a few occasions.
1: I don't want to say that this is universal, but I feel like when you see receivers used in lots of different ways, you know, inside, outside, X, X receiver, Z receiver, they're used in a number of different roles. Usually they've got a good handle on it, usually. Not always, but you, I feel like that's usually the case, and, and I feel like that has been the case uh, with those three rookies, which is a, a good sign, as we talked about, yesterday these guys don't look out of place
0: Aaron Moorhead seems like he's running quite a program there in the wide receiver room you got Jason Avant there bringing his wealth yep. of experience Matt Harper has been in the league for a number of years I think he's an impressive young coach yep. as well so I, I feel like that room is coached exceptionally well okay just one thing they were doing the sure. individual drill and they were doing hand fighting I'm like And I think even former Eagle Gary Cobb, like, looked up to me. He's like, I don't know if I've ever seen this. I'm like, I definitely have not (laughs) – I don't recall seeing this. I will say this. Typically, I'm helping QC the live stream during practice when you and and Spuds are commentating. So, I'm not out there for individuals. Typically, I'm getting out there, like, early on in the team drills. So, it's something they could have been doing the whole time. Right. I don't think previous coaching staffs, I don't feel like I've ever seen. You see different – Coaches have different drills. I don't think I've ever seen the hand fighting one, and it, But it's so important because you got to be able to use your hands to get off the line. So no question.
1: Uh, yeah. So no, I feel it's just been good to be able to watch those guys, we saw a lot of them uh, up close today with the individual period. Some other plays from that eleven on eleven uh, that we saw after the seven on seven. So Wentz play action, quick slant to Jalen Rager, nice little uh, spin move after the catch right away uh, as he caught the ball in the middle of the field. I thought the defense just really did a good job in the run play in the run game in this drill. Best run came uh, relatively late from Elijah Holyfield, kind of bounced outside uh, along the right sideline, played off his blocks and got and got out in the open space. I thought it was a nice run uh, from Holyfield. Uh, Nate Herbig, this was a drill where we got to see Herbig in at center with the ones a little bit. So we saw a mishandled exchange between him and Carson Wentz. So it was good to be able to see Carson go up and just kind of coach him through a couple of things. Those guys, obviously, not working together all that often, but that's why you do this in this practice format. So I don't know if you have any other takeaways from that period, but those are the big things that I wrote down.
0: I'm just going through, through my notes. I mean, I, th- I thought it was a very, very efficient day of work. Uh, again, you're seeing a lot of these backup offensive linemen working in there. You talked about her big – Saw Driscoll in there for one time, I think it was as a right guard, because it was a six-o line formation, and Herbig has typically been the six offensive lineman, So, but it was just neat to see Driscoll show that versatility to get that rep at guard in there.
1: So then the uh, the next period it's kind of moved the ball. They started on the, the their own one-yard line. T.J. Edwards, I thought, kind of started showing up in this period, and I thought he had a good practice overall today. I found myself writing 57 down uh, a lot in my notes. First play, backed up on the one-yard line. T.J. Edwards thuds up. Corey Clement right at the line of scrimmage. He had a bunch of plays, you know, downhill TJ Edwards. He had a couple TFLs. He had had one on a a reverse later on uh, in that drill. He made some plays outside the numbers, chasing the action. Just really active today, I thought. The first team offense connected on a screen pass. Carson went to Deshaun Jackson for a big gain. Later, he caught a slant in the slot where he got some separation. He climbed the ladder, made a big play, a uh, really nice catch uh, on the run. Um, I thought Boston Scott got out on a nice run up to the left, one of the better runs I've seen from Boston Scott since he's been back healthy to the field. Zach Ertz made a, an outstanding one-handed catch kind of behind his body, reeled it in, a bunch of oohs and ahs from his teammates. That was one of the highlights of practice. Rasul Douglas got a nice pass break up on a back shoulder throw. Uh, Anthony Rush getting in on the action the final play. Uh, nice run stop down the goal line. And he went over to the offensive sideline gave him a little uh, a little finger wag
0: uh, saying, no, don't run in his direction. I will say about the – Zach Gertz one-handed grab was spectacular because it was, like, behind him. He had to snatch it. But Sharif Miller beat Matt Pryor off the edge, and I thought he was going to – he could have had the sack. So I noted that down. And I was, like, kind of like one of those, okay, I think the play was almost over, sure, but he threw right. the ball away. But I thought Sharif Miller had a little, nice little pressure there that might have made that a little harder to do. Uh, and then we saw – Greg Ward throw the football today as a little well. So, yeah. a little trickery there. So I mean, he's the college quarterback who was in the Heisman Trophy discussion. I mean, he had to see it at some point here yes. during training camp. So that's right. Uh, not a shocker there. But there was an interesting two play series where uh, the ball's at the ten yard line, and Carson Wentz tried to throw up high, up top for Dallas Goddard, and the ball a little bit, a little bit out of bounds. So, on the very next snap, they still, like, move the ball after each play regardless of the result. Right. So, they, they went up to the five-yard line. And instead of trying to go up top for Goddard, Carson tried to zip it in there and uh, credit to Rasul Douglas. He had the pass yep. breakup on the play. But just interesting trying to probably trick Rasul on the one hand to not give the same thing every time, but also trying to find the different ways to be able to attack defenses. And just – it's again, I – I recall the other day in practice where Carson was trying to get that fade into the the back left corner of the end zone. It, it's just he's just working on those certain things. You're just Correct. working on that touch. So when they get to game action, it's automatic. And that you can say you can look back to these reps that they had here in the summer.
1: Yeah, I mean that was uh, that's the goal uh, of training camp for sure. All right, so after that period, they go two minute drill uh, ones versus ones. First down, false start. So the offense backs it up five yards. On the next play, Carson Wentz hooks up with Greg Ward, uh, a little route that gets them back to that original line of scrimmage. So second and 10, deep shot, Deshaun Jackson, right sideline, but Darius Slay, nice uh, leaping pass breakup to force third and long. Carson Wentz drops back on third down, hits J.J. Ortega Whiteside on a deep route uh, to move the sticks. So it's like a deep curl route. I don't know, probably like in the 15, 20-yard-ish range, yeah. maybe, maybe a little bit less, uh, but somewhere uh, in that realm. So moves the sticks. Uh, to get the first down. Next play, uh, they throw another corner out to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Jason Kelsey screaming for a holding call uh, against the defense, but uh, they did not get it. I could figure out who was yelling it. it no, It was, he was he John was Ferrari.
0: Yeah. It was Kelsey, <laughs> yeah. because because well, I hear holding, and I'm like an initial – and I, I thought it was the offense at first, but I'm like, well, typically that would be like a – I would think the defense would be calling for the All holding, right. so that, I thought that was pretty funny. But I thought J.J. was very, very effective in the intermediate game. Yep. Know, especially in this draw. You're going to probably go to the next next pass right here. So Yeah,
1: that's what Carson then dropped back on second down. He uh, hit J.J. on the over route. Uh, I believe it was against Darius Slay, uh, to, slay move yep. this, move, to move the sticks and put them in field goal range. Quick little run play to set up the uh, the field goal for Jake Elliott, and he hits a 43-yard field goal. Eagles offense wins the drill. So good job uh, by the offense in the two-minute drill.
0: Yep. Uh, I think you uh, touched on everything right there. Like I said, I, I think – you know, we talk about these young receivers, talk about the, the rookies, how they've stepped up, have good camps. But J.J.'s right there in that mix yeah, with with no these good with the good young receivers. Just very impressed with – Uh, I like your term stacking the days, and I feel like he's been doing that the last week here.
1: Yeah, no question. On the uh, next team period, uh, it started with the twos versus the twos because the ones had executed that entire last drill, the two-minute drill. T.J. Edwards, uh, thud on an inside run, and then a few plays later uh, takes away a screen pass, you know, to force the quarterback, Nate Sudfeld, to throw the ball uh, out of bounds. So a couple uh, nice plays by T.J. Edwards on this period. We saw another run stuff from Anthony Rush. Michael Warren, I thought, had one of his better runs in a team drill, an 11-on-11 action, busted one outside to the right sideline and getting free. So a nice run by, from the undrafted free agent from Cincinnati. Then the starters come out. So the backups start the drill. Starters come out. Biggest highlights for me in the ones versus the ones. Djax getting another dig route over the middle of the field. Uh, nice throw from Carson Wentz. And then Fletcher Cox Nearly picked off his uh, – he had his second near interception in two days, uh, almost picking off another screen pass at the line of scrimmage. So, Fletcher finding his way around the football. Hassan Ridgeway, a couple of nice really, really nice stops in the run game uh, along the line of scrimmage. He closed the line the running back on the line. He I was literally killing. He
0: felt bad. Gonna, I kill so you he feel, he felt bad. <laughs> he could tell he
1: went to like, try and pick him up off the ground right away. But now Ridgeway continuing to be active for sure.
0: Uh, I thought BG had a couple of nice rushes in here in this period as well. Uh, helping generate pressure, uh, definitely helped Fletcher Cox with that one play as well, forcing some throwaways. Uh, You're seeing a a lot of pre stat motion. I think that's a big thing. Big element is offense, see how they're going to incorporate that, seeing a number of plays where, where they're utilizing that. I missed the very – the last series when uh, the twos came back out with uh, Nate Sudfeld finished off. So I actually missed – had to miss that. All right, well, I'll wrap us up then. So they
1: did the same thing that they did yesterday where they ended the day with a live period to the ground with the backups on the field. So I'll just go kind of play-by-play here. Uh, Michael Warren, really nice physical run inside. And to me, like, this is where you can see – his value and uh, there are other players that are like this that not just play running back but you know even I mentioned like Anthony Rush right when you have these live periods that where you see, that's where you see like the big physical guys that play well through contact maybe aren't the greatest in space but you see that this is where uh, they start to shine so Michael Warren nice physical run inside really good game Nate Sudfeld one of the big plays of the day they got the offense really psyched up completed a nice fade route down the right side to John Hightower for a touchdown. He went up and over Craig James, outstanding catch, attacked the ball in the air, whole offense sprinted down the right sideline. So that was a great play uh, to be able to see to John Hightower. Very next play, inside the five-yard line, they hand it off to Michael Warren. He runs in for a touchdown, kind of steps through some contact, and, you know, it's on the far side, right? And so the the offense, the starters are right in front of us along the sideline, and you can hear Deshaun Jackson turn to the guys next to him, and he's like, yeah, they don't want to tackle him. They don't want to tackle him. <laughs> Talk about, talking about Michael Warren, he's a big boy carrying the rock. Elijah Holyfield had a nice run on the inside. He had a nice chunk of yardage. Again, this is all live, period. So, uh, you know, you're able to see these run plays kind of show up. Razul Douglas, a couple of nice tackles uh, at or behind the line of scrimmage. you have to, have to tell from further away. But got Holyfield to the ground a couple times in a row. So, uh, Razul Douglas showing uh, his physicality in the run game. Uh, the quarterback, Jalen Hurts, missed a couple of throws uh, to Travis Fulgham that were incomplete down in the end zone. And then uh, Elijah Holyfield had a nice touchdown run. A lot of room inside the offensive line. Uh, got some movement, it seemed like, and he was able to run in. So those were the uh, the big plays, or I should say all the plays, from the live period to practicing. practicing. I thought it was a, a spirited practice on both sides. As you mentioned, You know, considering everything that's going on and the meetings that they had last night, if they didn't feel like they could put this kind of effort out on the field, then they probably would not have practiced. But uh, this team was able to, you know, kind of stay focused. Hey, we're going to put in two good hours of work. They, it was a physical practice, uh, some hitting at the end, some live tackling to the ground. And then they uh, they left the field and went through uh, the rest of the day. But a lot to unpack, uh, as we kind of mentioned uh, at the top, with everything going on, the injury to Dillard. You had the announcement uh, with stadium fans. Obviously, everything going on in the world as well in terms of our society uh, at this point. But C-Mac, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We are not back tomorrow. The Eagles designed day off on Friday, so they will return to practice field, believe, on Saturday and Sunday. So uh, we will be here uh, next time. Thanks for more, so much for joining us, C-Mac. We will uh, talk to you this weekend. Great stuff from CMAC. You could follow just like I do on Twitter at CMAC Eagles. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. I, I put a little bit of a uh, a call to action for you guys in the last couple of days to go onto our Apple Podcast page. Leave us a rating and leave us a comment. A bunch of you answered the bell, and I want to give a shout out to Rich Bobby, who went on to our Apple Podcast page. Longtime listener of the show, thanks so much to Rich. Just to say, you know, left that, that five star review and commented saying how much he has enjoyed these daily training camp practice recaps with myself, CMac, and Ben. Thanks so much to Rich to everybody out there for all the continued support of this podcast and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade for everybody here at the Duffy House. I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you on Saturday.